Can everyone read those words? Was with us. Sometimes when you're prepping a sermon, it's a simple little phrase that just catches your attention. And the reason it catches your attention is because it seems to be so incongruous, so out of place, really, was with us. So it's biblical, it's definitely biblical, was with us. The direct words, well, from the English translation, the NIV, was with us. And when I read this, something just kind of sparked in my mind, in my heart. Something started to burn. And ever since, I've kind of been a little bit confronted, challenged, even this morning driving to church, I was drinking my piccolo on Zimmel and eating my bacon and egg muffin heated up and I pulled off somewhere nice where there was beautiful trees and gardens, Ben will know it well, on the way here was the cemetery and I just sat there and I just started thinking about this was with us and you're probably already thinking like, Aim, you're talking about God with us, I am, but I'm actually talking about something else today as well. And as I was thinking about was with us and looking at all the graves and thinking about life, I suddenly realised that, and this is confession time, actually genuine confession time, uh, recently I've started experiencing a lot of success in my vocation. So I've started experiencing uh, people asking me to speak at conferences with like, I'm talking uh, Chief Pilot of Qantas, Chief Pilot of Virgin, things like this, and people kind of uh, asking me to come more and more to speak. And oh, I just, there's something in you, it's a bit like maybe when you're on Facebook and you're getting lots of likes, something in you that really eats that up. And I don't know whether it's always helpful because, say, in a church like today, if you have that mentality of eating it up and you come to church and you're going, oh, where's my big audience? I'm used to hundreds. <laughs> and it's just you faithful few again, you know? And it's not good for us because. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, Willow Burns, not my thorn, definitely not. You're my rose petals. <laughs> uh, absolutely, you are, and, I, and you'll see as we go forward. So, anyway, I was just, I just was con- convicted by the idea of being a nobody. Because do you think Jesus calls you to be a somebody or to be a nobody? Do you think Jesus calls you to be great or to be just a humble nobody from nowhere? <laughs> like... I don't know, you guys know the Bible pretty well, don't you? What do you think? What's the answer to that? Yes, Taylor? Wow. So, so for the recording, he chose his disciples, this is Taylor speaking, his disciples from nobodies, from, you're right, the poor people. That is so cool because I was talking to Kerry yesterday when we were walking and she was talking about these two great theologian speakers, Christians, I think they're called thought leaders these days, and they were bemoaning the fact that there is no great evangelical leader anymore. There is no great Billy Graham, and we need another Billy Graham. And I was thinking, oh, no, I hope Kerry isn't going to start talking the same way because she was going to bring it out, and thankfully she didn't. She said, I just really felt like that was almost like asking for King Saul. Yeah, and many churches have had a King Saul, you know, many churches, metaphorically speaking, have had a King Saul and it hasn't worked out so well for them. And it seems to be so incongruous, again, with what Jesus has called us to. So this, I just want you to hold that as a bit of a backdrop to these words, was with us. And it connotes many things. This is the first, welcome, the first of our Open Circle Sundays. So Open Circle Sundays, notice how the church chairs are? An Open Circle. An open circle connotes a whole bunch of things, but 
Essentially, what we're saying in our open circle is we're coming out of the world and we're opening up our hearts and our minds to the Lord to think about, rethink about uh, where he's, what his call is on our life as a church. And I won't go into all the details now, but we've kind of conceptualised our mission and our vocation, our calling as a church into these expanding circles. So welcome to the Open Circle Sunday. And as you can see up there, I'm not sure if you can read that very well. I'll put my glasses back on. Can you read that? Anyway, so what we're doing is we're going monthly sort of snapshot. So we're going to take church month by month. And so just keep was with us because we're coming back to was with us. But we're thinking and rethinking us. We're rethinking Willowburn and we're changing our rhythm and our rule. So everyone operates to rhythms and rules in life. You may not think you do, but you do. As a church, we operate to a rhythm and a rule and we have done for probably seven years now. We are rethinking that rhythm and rule. And as you can see there, the first two Sundays of each month are going to be these open circle Sundays. The third circle, as Kerry was talking about in the prayer time, is going to be the out circle. We're not having a church service, but we will be serving in some way or another. The out circle Sunday is where you have a Sunday to invite people over to your house for lunch. Maybe people that aren't a part of the church. And just serve them, hang out with them. And we'll talk much more about that in the future. Then we're going to come back on the fourth Sunday and we're going to tell everyone about it. That's going to be called the full circle Sunday where we're just going to literally, and we're going to use the symbology of the chairs every time. So the full circle will be the chairs all in a circle, big circle in here. And we're going to share. We might have some songs. We might have some food as a part of communion, but also as a part of lunch. We might even start a bit later and it'll be very informal, but hoping that we'll be able to share what's been going on. And if there's a fifth circle or a fifth Sunday, it'll be a guest speaker of some description. So this whole series, and this is really number two, is about rethinking, rethinking Willowburn, rethinking us, rethinking our rhythms and rules. So in your daily life, you have a rhythm and a rule. You have sort of a guiding principle about how you do things. You have a rhythm. You might not think about it that often, but if you look back over the last week or two weeks or three weeks or year, you will see a rhythm and a rule. And we as a church are rethinking that. I'm encouraging you to rethink it in your own life and to be open, open circle, open circle, be open to God. And I want you to think about what rhythms and rules promote faithfulness and what rhythms and rules contaminate faithfulness. I'm talking faithfulness to God. What rhythms and rules promote faithfulness? So, I don't know if you can read the fine print there. Rethinking our rhythms and rules, rethinking Willowburn, a church full of nobodies from nowhere. Is anyone insulted by that? <laughs> Aren't we? I mean, we're just like in Toowoomba, this small city really in Australia. Australia. Um, and we are really a church full of nobodies from nowhere. But what I want us to do today is embrace our nobodiness, our nowhereness. And I want you to just think about what that means. I don't want you to use it as, well, we're never going to achieve anything great for God or anything great at all. I don't want you to think like that. But at the same time, I don't want you to think that you are going to be the next Billy Graham because I don't really want you to be Billy Graham. I want you to be who you are. I think you're pretty cool as you are. God does as well. So what does it mean then? Well, we're going to use this was with us. Very simple words. 
Very simple words. They're from the Bible. We're not going to use the Bible. I'm going to be using the Bible. This is all from the Bible, but you're not going to read the Bible today. You're going to draw from your mental resources. You're going to draw from your mental Bible, whatever's stored up there in memory. And we're going to play a little game. And kids, I might need your help as well. We're going to play a game of who am I and where am I? And we're going to talk about a nobody from nowhere. We're going to try and work out who it is. And I can guarantee by the end, it'll be kind of intriguing and stuff, but it's going to be an anticlimax. It's going to be very underwhelming when you finally find out who it is. Because we know all about the greats in Scripture. We know about Paul and Peter and John and James. And of course, we know about Jesus, who at the time, by the way, was also a nobody from nowhere, if you think about it. Nazareth was pretty much nowhere, and he was just a carpenter's son. But anyway, when I think about was with us, I think about Blackhawks, and I think about Iroquois helicopters, and I think about traveling across the middle of nowhere, the wilderness, and getting somewhere maybe 200 kilometers that way after a big, long navigation, plus or minus 15 seconds. Because if you get there in our tactics, if you get there too early, the artillery's still falling. If you get there too late, the artillery starts falling again. So you're dropping all the troops off, plus or minus 15 seconds. And quite often, this is sort of from my piloting days, you might be number one, or you might be number two, or you might have 10 aircraft, and you look over your shoulder, and what do you see? You see that your wingman is with you. You see that there is someone that's with us. Now, I remember flying, actually, from Australia to Daru, which is in PNG, over the water. And you think, oh man, if we go into the water here, it's not good. Then you look over your shoulder, was with us. The wingman, he's with us, or she is with us. Was with us. There's something, so you don't necessarily feel that metaphor as much as I do, but I think you feel it a little bit. Because when you're in the middle of nowhere, you're in the middle of, and it could be at night, low level, or night vision goggles, and you can just see the glow of the engines, and there he is. Well, there she is, your wingman, with us. That's what I sort of think of. Now, kids, how many helicopters can you see? This is where I need your help. I need your eagle eyes. And I just want to say, you guys, you guys are awesome. You're always going to be a really important part of our church. Torin? Two. Who thinks there's two? Awesome. There's three. <laughs> no, not necessarily. There's definitely three in the picture. Now, we're going to go to the next slide. But what I need you to do, kids, this slide's going to keep coming up. When you think you've seen the third one, just hold it to yourself. Maybe I'll see a funny little smile come on your face, like that knowing kind of look. Maybe you'll even put your hand up. But I just want you to hold it until the end. Now everyone else is squinting, trying to see it. But in the meantime, we're going to try and work out where... These words was with us where they came from. So like I said, let's draw from our mental Bible. Now, I'm just going to read excerpts from the scripture, but I'm not going to tell you where they are. I want you to see if you might be able to guess who this is. And if you do, you'll spoil my whole sermon. <laughs> no, you won't. I'll be extremely surprised if you get it. So I'll just read you this. When they heard this, they were furious and they began to shout, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized. I'm just going to call them nobody. It's actually a name. No one cheat and look at the scripture, okay? I'm going to... Oh, wait a minute. The people seized nobody. 
and nobody, another nobody, Paul's travelling companions from nowhere, nobody from nowhere, and rushed as one man into the theatre. So you've probably seen this scene before. It's in the church, or it's at Ephesus. The silversmiths are all upset because they feel like their business is threatened by this new gospel word that is reorientating people to Jesus rather than to money and riches and gods that are dead. And all of a sudden they're all upset because they feel that their goddess Artemis is being sort of, I guess, blasphemed. And so they end up in this angry mob and they rush at Paul. And Paul, just imagine, he would have seen these angry faces, malevolence. He was so used to seeing this wherever he went. He brought, it's so he brought this gospel of peace, this gospel of life, his resurrection life to, to slaves and so many other people that were just struggling uh, uh, you know, they, they were downtrodden, they were pressured, etc. And then over and over again, there are other people, normally people in power, normally people with influence, the somebodies, who would come to him a nobody, really, he was a nobody back then, and would threaten his life. And in this, in this case, though, he looks over his shoulder and either side are some nobodies from nowhere. Some companions. Their travelling companions were with them. So Paul wasn't alone. He looks for his wingmen, and there they are, nobody from nowhere, who was with us. Later on, he would say, was with us. Here's another excerpt from the scriptures. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye, and set out for Macedonia, where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, So these are the angry Jews of the time, the Jewish leaders, not all the Jewish people, but some. Just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by, same person, the nobody from nowhere. Has anyone guessed who it is yet? I'll give you $100 if you do. I wouldn't, by the way, if I was sitting where you are, I would not guess either. So it's a little bit of a game, but you never know. Someone might get it. So once again, Paul He thinks about these people that are plotting against his life. They want to kill him. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. That would be really scary. And yet as he's maybe grappling with some fear and stuff, maybe he feels a hand on his back. It's his wingman again. The nobody from nowhere. This guy keeps showing up in the scriptures and you you already proved my point because if he knew, if he was a somebody, you would have gone, that's the guy, I know him. But we just skip over him in scripture because He's hardly mentioned, he's not up there with the Pauls and the Jameses and the Johns and the, um, the rest of them. But nonetheless, here he is, a nobody from nowhere. He's, he, he was with us. Later on, Paul could say, he was, he was with us. Anyone seen the other helicopter yet? Come on, try harder. No, I'll brighten it up again later. Here's another scriptural excerpt of this nobody from nowhere. Acts 27 now. Um, don't go there. Don't go there. No, no. Hey, Ben, what are you doing? He's in his concordance. Ah, oh, oh, he's in the concordance. That's even worse. <laughs> Why aren't you listening to Tiff's um, more? Now, Acts 27, I'll read it to you. When it was decided that we were sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia and we put out to sea and nobody 
And Macedonia, from Macedonian from nowhere, was with us. Now think about this, this is getting towards the end of Acts. Think about all the beatings, the persecutions, and it's all come to this point where Paul will refuse to buckle and say, no, 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 I, I won't go to Rome. He wants to go to Rome. The way to get there is actually be arrested. He's arrested. He spends a lot of time with the different Herods. You can read about that. And he finally ends up on this ship. Now, think about that. I don't know if you've ever been on a journey, but there's always that degree of uncertainty. These ships were horrible, and we know he ends up in a shipwreck situation. These ships were, were not, very safe, not, not very safe at all. And you probably can read the whole story yourself at another time. But again, as he's probably in chains, taken on board the ship, there is a companion with him. So back in those days, it was quite often allowed to, so that the prisoners could be supported by people. They could actually have travelling companions who would buy them food and all that kind of thing. It's not like modern prisons where everything's supplied for you. And guess who's with him? Nobody from nowhere. Nobody from nowhere. And he's on his way to see probably Nero. And he looks over his shoulder, and there he is again. Nobody from nowhere. He looks for a wingman, and there he is, was with us. This is a pretty cool guy, eh? But I can almost guarantee every time you've read him or read his name, you've just skipped over him because he was literally a nobody from nowhere. And then later on when Paul is writing his letters, and it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Paul probably accomplished way more by being a nobody himself. When he was in a prison, a nobody in prison, writing almost obscure letters, random letters, which we now have as the Bible. Well, think about that for a moment. Like his missionary journeys were cool as well. But when I think of Paul's missionary journeys, I think of this big powerboat that just powers through all these provinces and miracles are happening. Handkerchiefs are getting dropped on people. People are getting cured. People are coming to know the Lord. But in his wake, there are just a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of nobodies from nowhere that knuckle down into faithfulness and day in, day out, live a faithful gospel life, day in, day out, natter the gospel. They're the ones, they're the ones, actually, you can thank for being here today. Because Paul was just one tiny little sand grain of influence in the kingdom. I mean that. You're John Calvins, you're Jonathan Edwards, you're Augustines. They're just, you just know them because they've been like, they write stuff and their words are actually... Um, memorized, or not memorized, but recorded through all history. So now you can keep studying, you can build universities around these names and so forth. But they are just those kind of powerboats sometimes, even Martin Luther, just a power. When people knuckle down into faithfulness, the nobodies from nowhere, that's when the church really grows. That's what happened in the first 300 years of the church. We just tend to focus on the people who are great speakers, who do cool things with miracles or whatever, great leaders. But over and over again, Jesus said, the poor, thank you, Taylor, for before. The poor, the downtrodden, like, even his Beatitudes. The first one is what? Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Even when Jesus says, I want you to be, I don't want you to be like the pagans or like the Gentiles who rule over each other. I want you to be a servant leader. We sort of then take that to mean, okay, leaders should just pack up the chairs now and again, just show that little bit of certain. No, if we took that seriously, that would literally mean that any leadership position literally as it's a slave leader position. So, so you're literally saying, I will take up burdens that no one else will for you, for each other. I'm not more important than you. We're in this shoulder to shoulder. I need you. I'll break down and cry or be dysfunctional at times or be emotionally immature at times as a leader, just as much as you will. And in fact, many of our 
structures of church today protect immaturity, protect spiritual immaturity. Because if you're a big dude in a big church and super powerful, you know, you've got all your structures around you, you've got your council, you've got all your elders and stuff around you, and you've got that power of personality, you don't have to front up too many times to the daily grind of being in the sometimes messy relationship business. But here's this nobody from nowhere. And as Paul writes his letters, he, he thinks, oh, so he's writing Colossians, gets to the end of it. He goes, my fellow prisoner, nobody, sends you his greeting. greeting. Same, same dude, same guy. End of Colossians, marvellous letter, read it sometime. My fellow prisoner, nobody. So Paul's in prison. He's writing a letter to a community of Christians called uh, in the ancient city of Colossae. And there he is with us, was with us. Okay, last one. You know, right, right there in that stinking prison, there is nobody from nowhere. Uh, this one is from Philemon. Remember Philemon? Shortest book in the New Testament, shortest letter. Philemon, a friend of Paul's, Onesimus, the slave, runs away. And this is so interesting, you know, people want to go to the Bible and go, oh, look at that, it's actually encouraging slavery. Well, read more deeply because what you'll find is that Paul does something completely radical just with this letter here of Philemon. And what he does is he goes, this slave of yours is now your brother. <laughs> it's not just, he should be free, you should let him go. He is your brother, he is equal with you. And elsewhere he will say of people that look after slaves and so forth, you should actually see yourself as a slave of Jesus. And you slaves, you should see yourselves as brothers and sisters of this slave owner. So look after each other despite this power structure. And you know what's going to happen over time with that kind of theology? It's going to get inside the artifice and the edifice and the institution of slavery. and It's just going to tear it apart. That was a tangent. At the end of Philemon, this is what Paul says. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so does Mark. He's a bit of a somebody. He's got a book named after him in the Bible, the book of Mark. Demas, he's also a bit of a somebody. He gives up on Paul at some point, gives up on the gospel. You can read about that elsewhere. Luke, he's a big deal to us. We all know Luke. He's got a book named after him. He probably wrote Acts. But then there's nobody. And nobody, nobody from nowhere sends you greetings. And he says, this is my fellow worker. Travelling companion, fellow worker, he was with us. This nobody from nowhere was with us. Anyone got any idea about who he is? Close, but no. Silas? Not Silas. He's a big deal too. Timothy? Oh, which one? Tychicus? Yeah, close. I was actually nearly going to do Tychicus. Well done. There's another one, like because Tychicus appears three or four times as well, and he's called a fellow companion. Another no, somebody from, no, nobody, actually, because not many people. No, well, that's, that's impressive. It's not Tychicus. I even had this called Tychicus because I thought it was Tychicus first until I went and read up on it. Um, anyway, we're we getting closer. Wow, that's impressive. Anyway, the whole point is, is that this is a nobody from nowhere. But here's the thing. Why was this person so faithful? I mean, why was this person, what, like, what, what happened to him? So he got so inspired by Jesus, 
so inspired by the gospel, so inspired by the Holy Spirit that he's, I'm going with Paul. And more importantly, what kind of church did he come from? Because I've just said he was somebody, sorry, now I'm getting mixed up. He was nobody from nowhere. Well, where was nowhere? Let's see if we can guess where he was from. So I'll read this to you. Again, don't look it up. Ben. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no, I want, I, want us, I want us to play the game. Play the game with me. Come on, join, join with me, Ben. Join with me. I'd be like you too. I'd be like, oh. We're getting there. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. But let's just go to the church. Let's see if we can guess the church. We might guess this one. When, so this is from Acts 17. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to nowhere. Now these two places are just before nowhere, now up to nowhere. And maybe the front of nowhere. This is nowhere. Uh, there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So what's happened is uh, he's had this vision of a man from Macedonia who turns out to be a lady, Lydia. And so he's gone pretty much into great, what, what in those days was greater Greece. And he comes to this nowhere place, I nearly said it, um, and he reasons in the synagogue. Often there were synagogues there, often there were God-fearing Jews. And many came to know Jesus, many didn't. Soon, some of the Jews who were angry at Paul stirred up a big mob and he was out of there. So this nobody from nowhere, this person was more than likely in this church at the time. And after three Sabbath days, so probably three weeks, maybe four, the church finishes, uh, sorry, the church plant experience finishes. Paul's gone. So this person would have seen that and you would be thinking this church has got no hope now i've preached on this in the past so i won't go on to it at this time but you would have to ask if you're this nobody from nowhere well, what happens now anyone know who i'm talking about the big reveals coming up <laughs> so you you might you might be thinking oh like say you're paul and you leave here and then you're like oh man what is going on at this church well, i left it has it fallen back into paganism? Has it fallen back into worshipping dead idols? Has it fallen back into like we're slaves now, just treated like rubbish instead of treated like brothers and sisters? Are they back into this hedonistic uh, lifestyle? And instead, Paul writes a letter and he says, we always, this is after, this is after. We always thank God for all of you. This is the, the three Sabbath day church, the one that should have failed. Mentioning you in our prayers, we continually remember before our God and our Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So when he says work, he's talking about work, vocational work. They just kept working hard, but they were talking about the gospel and so forth as they did it. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. So the Thessalonian church is one of the first churches, Gentile churches, to come to know the Lord Jesus. And it was this real display of power to the Jews to go. But God's, God has chosen the Gentiles as well for salvation. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep convi conviction. You know how he lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of, of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. So this nobody from nowhere was from this church where the Lord's message was ringing out. Now, Paul says himself, 
in all of Macedonia and Achaia, which is all of Greece. So I circled it for you up there. That's all of modern Greece. You can see right up the top, I've blanked out the nowhere place. So we can keep the game going. Sorry, Ben. Uh, you can see what some of these places include. Look at Achaia, Athens, Sparta. Berea might be familiar to you. Now, Paul went through a lot of these places. We don't, know, we don't think he went to Sparta. We don't know for sure. He might have. Uh, but all these places, Paul is saying, it's because of you that knuckling down into faithfulness, the big speedboat's gone now, and they've just got the sails up just slowly or just paddling, whatever metaphor you want to use. But they're just speaking the gospel as they work. They're being faithful. They're learning, being taught by the Holy Spirit day by day. And the message rings out. That's a massive area. And, and actually says, not just there, but the whole world. So their faithfulness was so well known over time that all the other Christians heard about it. Which straight away says to me, what on earth was going on in this church? <laughs> what on earth was going on in this church of nobodies from nowhere? I mean, it, anyway, let's do the big reveal. We don't want to build it up too much. Okay, it's probably easier if we go for the church. So I read from the name of the church. I think you said it. Did I? All right, what is it? Yes, Thessalonica. So I did say it. Well done. It's, you never know that. It might have been a dupe. It might have been a, what's it called? Anyway, red herring, that's it. Um, so it's Thessalonica. So now, are you underwhelmed so far? Big deal, you know? So Thessalonica is like a city of about probably 100,000, a bit like Toowoomba, a bit of a trading hub. Um, but you know, who's even heard of that in the real world? Not many people, I would think. But this church at Thessalonica, I've always, as you know, I've always been fascinated by it because it's three Sabbath days and somehow or another the church thrives and flourishes. But this is where the nobody was from. This was his church. That's pretty cool. Anyone seen the third helicopter yet? I'll be... <laughs> Are you even looking for it anymore? It's about to come up again. Um, actually, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a chance. Thankfully, with my technology, I can jump to the end. All right, there's a brighter one for you. You can actually see it, barely. Oh, thank you, Luke. Have a good look. All right, I'll give you another three or four seconds. Harry knows. Yeah, I've got to keep going. <laughs> we, can't, we can't just sit there trying to find this helicopter the whole time. We've got to get through the sermon. People have got places to be. Um, here's the big reveal. Now you missed it. You got your head down. Yeah, I told you. <laughs> you told me you started with A. Adrian starts with A. It could have been Adrian. Are you underwhelmed? So this dude who I was calling Aristarchus, but I'm going to call him Aristarchus. I think it, it would be Aristarchus. This is the dude. So in all those verses I gave you, when there's people yelling, great is Artemis, and Paul's about to get hammered, he looks over, there's Arist Aristarchus. I'm going to keep saying it the old way. When the Jews plot, Paul looks over his shoulder, there's Aristarchus, the faithful wingman. And there's others too, you'll see. You'll see there's others that are named. I just chose him because I was fascinated by Thessalonica. When they sail, so think about this, when they sail on that famous, um, 
on that famous journey to Rome, it's Aristarchus. Aristarchus is with Paul and Luke. He goes through the shipwreck. He sees that famous story where Paul, they get out of the shipwreck, all those people are saved. The snake latches on. Aristarchus was there. A nobody from nowhere. At the end of Colossians, Paul says, my fellow prisoners, Aristarchus. At the end of Philemon, my fellow prisoner or companion, Aristarchus. Aristarchus was with him. And I'm just thinking, can we rethink? Can we really rethink our own levels of faithfulness? And I know there's people that have gone out from this church and you know, doing awesome things and, can, and maybe they're an Aristarchus. But really, this is about the church that he came from, the church that nurtured that, the church that was the incubator for his faithfulness as a missionary. You know, can we really rethink what it means to be a faithful church full of nobodies? Can we really just open up our hearts in this open circle Sunday and go, Lord, what, what does that mean for me? And the reason I want us to do this is because it's not me asking you to rethink. It's God. One of Jesus' names is with us. Emmanuel. The prophecy in Matthew, all this took place. The Christmas prophecy will be in Christmas before you know it. The virgin will be with child. He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's there's just something about being present. It's interesting because devices these days take away our presence. So when you're sitting with your friends or you're sitting in a restaurant or you're sitting in a cafe or you're sitting in church or wherever, devices can take away our presence with each other. And it's almost almost counter-gospel in some ways because the very essence of the gospel is that the God who has been made distant, not that he could ever really be distant, but made distance in a sense by our own sin, draws near and insists that he will be with us not when we are nice sweet bananas or nice sweet strawberries to use Tiff's metaphor that she's given us but when we're salty and yucky he insists on being with us and this whole thing about wanting to be something we all do we all do but I think if you'll go deeper down actually really what's happening is you want to be you want to be connected you want to enjoy close relationship you you don't want to be lonely you want you want to experience a relationship with the God of the universe or something that will fill this hole. I believe it's a Jesus-shaped hole inside of us. You, you want that, and so you, you maybe fill it with other things, likes on Facebook. But here's all the things about likes on Facebook. How do you get a like on Facebook? You're new to Facebook, Gabe. You do something that everybody likes. Don't you? You say something that everybody likes or you put up a picture that everybody likes. It's the same on Instagram. They're actually about to hide the likes. I think Sydney, oh no, Australia's the first place on Facebook. Yeah, they've already done it because of mental health issues. But, but just think about it. If you do ugly things, yucky things, you don't get likes, do you? So the Christian story is if your life was a Facebook page, Jesus looks at it and there's nothing to like about it. But there's something about Jesus that says, despite the fact there's nothing alone, I'm going to come for you. I'm going to be with us. I'm going to be with you, Emmanuel. But everything else in our world is all about you proving yourself, you doing likable things so that you might be liked. We've just got to break that. We've just got to get away from that. We've got to go, every time we start thinking that, think Aristarchus was with us. Think Jesus, who gave up 
all the likes in heaven, literally. Imagine those heavenly armies. I'm pretty sure the heavenly angels and the warrior angels really like Jesus. He's going, I'm going to give all that up. I'm going to be disliked. I'm going to embrace my nothingness, my nowhereness, my nobodiness. Nazareth literally means just whatever that kind of, you know, nobody kind of town. And he comes and he mounts a cross for us. So I really want us to think through what it means to be present with each other because I know we're all super busy. And I really want us to rethink what it means to be knuckling down into faithfulness. And there's so much more I'm actually finishing up now. There's so much more I could go through. But, and, we, and, and I encourage you over the next few weeks to look through Thessalonians yourself. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Acts 17, where the Thessalonica is mentioned. And, and the question, and I'd love for us to bring it as, even in the share time next week. So I'm, I'm managing this next month of preaching. But really go, what's happening in this church? Look for patterns, rhythms and rules. So look, look for what Paul says about them that they're doing. That they're doing something. They're doing, actually, they're doing several things. We're going to go through that next week. And I really want you to go through First and Second Thessalonians. It doesn't take very long. You can listen to it on an audio Bible in about 20 minutes, both of them, 25 minutes, and go, oh, Paul says they're doing this. Huh. Paul gives them this bit of information, or Paul gives them this revelation. Now, I know First and Second Thessalonians has in the past been used mainly for eschatology, which is the end times type stuff. And there's cool end times stuff. And that's actually one of the things that's really important. But I want you to look at what they're doing and what Paul's concerned about. Thessalonians 1 and 2 is actually quite unique because he, he's overwhelmingly favourable towards them. He has very little to say about neg- negative, negative stuff. Whereas Corinth, Galatia, ooh, there's some burn going on there. So I really want us to rethink our rhythms and our rules, rethink our faithfulness. And as we come to communion now, to finish off today is to again, and that's why I asked Tiff to leave this up here. Which one was salty? Are they both salty? or The strawberries. Yeah. But it's such a wonderful picture, kids, and everyone else. And I'll show you the black orc later. I'll show you where the other helicopter is later (laughs) after communion. But I'm going to put what looks to be so nice. You know, it looks to promise nourishment, sweetness, and I saw some, I wish we could have recorded some of the faces, the screwed up faces, the cringy faces as they bit into what they thought would be sweetness and instead got this yucky combination of saltiness and sweetness. But I really want you kids as well, as you come to have communion, to look at that and you look at the bread, it's just boring and dull. It's just nobody bread from nowhere. And there's just a tiny little bit of grape juice. Probably not even that good of quality. Probably from someone's, I don't know, vineyard somewhere. Just look at it. And yet, you could, you could fill this whole table with all the things that the world promises in terms of somebody type stuff. And yet Jesus insists on coming and being nobody from nowhere for us, to be with us. So as you come and enjoy today communion, I really want you to embrace your nobodiness. I want you to ask, because just don't think this is people that are, I don't know, this, this is not just a temptation for people that are um, going to be, I don't know, awesome speakers or whatever. Whenever you really desire likes on Facebook, whenever you're really desiring likes from other people, 
what you're saying there is I need to be somebody for you. But what I want you to do is I want you to desire and embrace the fact that Jesus, despite who you are, has already embraced you. And then to ask him for the faithfulness and the strength so that your life, as we read just before, will become a, literally a labour of love. Literally a labour of love because Jesus has already laboured out of love for you. And he is Emmanuel, God with us. So on that night, that terrible night in that room that no one even knew about, there was no cameras, there was no live streaming. He just simply got the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. Again, there was no reporters. There was no one of note in that room. But he offered to them this table. And this table represents his sacrifice for us. And it also points to a time where all the nobodies from nowhere gather together and suddenly become somebody. The first become last and the last become first. That's the paradoxical nature of the kingdom. Father, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for this new phase, this new season, this new rhythm and rule for Willowburn. And we've only really just thought about what faithfulness looks like. We haven't actually seen what it is, but we will. Help us, teach us. I pray that your spirit would open up our hearts and our minds to know you in deeper ways. And I pray today as we partake in communion together, I pray, Father, that that presence, that with us, Emmanuel, would be richly felt. And as we leave here, Emmanuel, oh, Emmanuel, walk with us, abide with us, You've already heard, oh Emmanuel, the struggles and the strains of this church and the unheard struggles and strains. But I pray that we would be, oh Emmanuel, knuckling down into faithfulness, into allegiance to you, and we would walk and one day be found in your presence and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And we only have this hope, even if it's just a small spark today, because of this table, because of your faithfulness to us. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So in your own time come, we'll hold the cup together. Let's drink to the somebody who gave up that somebodiness, gave up that glory, became nobody. For all of us, nobodies. And we too now can be somebody in him. And so we drink to him. So actually, let's stand and drink today. Oh, some people are already good. That's right. Let's drink. Father, thank you again for this time together. Thank you for all my brothers and sisters here. I pray that this week and into the rest of the month, and as we slowly transition and think through our new rule and rhythm that we would also be thinking of our rules and rhythms thinking about our lives be prepared to listen as your spirit guides us and teaches us as you always do so show us your ways O lord teach us your paths guide us in your truth and teach us because you are god our savior and our hope is in you all day long
So I pray uh, again. I pray, our Lord, that the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit would be with us all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. Oh, yeah, you better flick it back. All right, let's go. Kids, you ready? Ready to put on those eagle eyes? If I was recruiting for Army Aviation, anyone who spots it, I would probably put you into a reconnaissance squadron. Anyone else who can't see it, I'd probably put you in an air mobile squadron or air assault squadron. All right, so let me explain something about modern air assault tactics. Firstly, Blackhawk helicopters are never by themselves. They might look like they're by themselves, but they never are. There's always a helicopter in what's called overwatch. In an overwatch position, that machine will dart in, stay really low, go and check the landing zone, the LZ as we call it, and make sure there's no enemy there and it'll sit there and watch and monitor. And it'll move from time to time, but it'll always be there watching, it's always there, ready to bring in assistance. It's a good metaphor, isn't it? It's always ready to bring in assistance. Now, I will grant to you that this slide is not as good as some, but this might be the conditions out there. Thanks, Luke. So what I might do even, I might just escape from... Oh, no, that won't work. All right, so now has anyone seen it? Yeah, Trevor, where do you think it is? Oh, yeah, you've got it. So who else saw it? So you, can't, you can come have a look on my iPad later. It's actually made way, a bit more obvious, but... Just towards the top, there is the mast, so the big radome, and the rotor just sitting above the trees. So what they'll do is they'll stay beneath the trees. The radome sticks above because it's above the mast. It's got a camera, it's got radar, it's got a whole bunch of things generally, and it'll keep an eye on things while it still stays hidden. So there you go. I know, I was, a little, I was a little bit unfair with the game as a whole, but thank you for playing along, everybody. This is actually from a painting called The Riverhawks, which is in our house. And it was in our passageway, but it's been relegated to my study now. Um, but yeah, this, this picture, it's, it's been around for quite a long time. It was at Fort Rucker when I was there on an exchange, and I always loved it. And so when I left the army, my friend John Barrow arranged for it to be put into a big frame and a nice presentation. So it's always good to have mementos. Anyway, I've gone over time, so um, thanks everyone for playing along and listening. And next week we will go into our, we'll actually end up with three open circle Sundays, but we're going to continue on with this theme of rethinking our rules and rhythms. And we're going to learn from the church at Thessalonica, the church of um, Aristarchus. Yeah, nobody's from nowhere. Any questions? <laughs> you can ask me later now. I'm sweating. I'm getting down. <laughs>